You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 2, we're going, to be, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. The title of this message for you note takers is Losing the Cutting Edge. Losing the Cutting Edge. Now, we all know that you need a sharp edge to cut through anything. Well, the same is true and the same is needed to cut through the darkness in the cities we minister in and in the churches that we serve. But is it possible that as pastors and leaders, we can lose our cutting edge? Oh, it, it's very well possible because if you find yourself in a lukewarm condition, if you find yourself in a lukewarm church, I guarantee you it's led by a lukewarm pastor that has lost his cutting edge. And as you know, that the Apostle John, who is the human author of this book, was exiled on the island of Patmos. And you know, that's 30 miles south of Ephesus in the Aegean Sea. After they tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die, they shipped him on the island of Patmos. And we get a glimpse into why he didn't die. You all know that John was the apostle of love and 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8 says, love bears all things, endures all things. And as he was on that island of Patmos, I know that he felt abandoned. I know he felt isolated. I know he felt forsaken. And maybe you hear right now and you feel like John, exiled, isolated, abandoned by the Lord or abandoned by the church you came out of. Please don't allow your isolation to make you bitter or angry. But to turn your attention to the Lord who wants to use your isolation like the Apostle John to give you a revelation of who he is. A revelation for your city and your community that he sent you to. Oh, yes, it's lonely in ministry. And, and sometimes you're going to feel abandoned by people and even by God himself. Oh, you wouldn't say it in your But in your heart, you feel abandoned even by God. But God wants to use this time to speak a special word to you like he did John. And when the new emperor Nerva came into power, he allowed John to leave Patmos in around A.D. 96 to 98. And John came back with a word for the people in his generation. Oh, the same is true for us as pastors and leaders. If we allow God to speak to us during our time of isolation and exiled, we too can come back with a revelation for the people we're serving with a prophetic word for their lives, a rhema word and not just filling their heads with a bunch of biblical facts and knowledge. Oh, you know, I'm one of you. You know that I am not against giving people biblical knowledge because of how illiterate people are today as when it comes to the matters of the Bible. But we do 
We got to understand something. We do have a mandate to give them also a rhema word from God. Oh, we can rightly divide the logos word. We can rightly divide the word with the best of them. Oh, but my thing is, do you have a prophetic, a rhema word for those very people? Hey, let me tell you something. Every message must answer two questions. What do you want them to know? And what do you want them to do? Oh, you giving them the knowledge. Now, what do you want them to do with that? Oh, people today can care less that there's 15 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. (laughs) They can care less that the Assyrians took the 10 northern tribes uh, uh, of Israel into into captivity in in 722 B.C. And they can care less that the two southern tribes uh, went in in 586, went into uh, captivity as well. They want to know, what does the word of God have to say? My husband just left me for my best friend and left me with these four babies. What does the Bible have to say about that? What does the Bible have to say that my friend, who's my friend since third grade, OD'd on drugs? What does the Bible have to say about that? So it's it's very well, I mean, we can give the knowledge, we can give the history, we can give the background, we can give the Hebrew and the Greek, but do you have a rhema word for those people? And so often, that rhema word is going to come in your time of exile on your island of Patmos. If you allow the Lord, through that time of isolation... To speak a prophetic word, because we know the book of Revelation is a prophetic word. Allow the Lord to speak a prophetic word into your heart. So when you come out of your isolation, not in bitterness and anger, pointing the finger at who hasn't called you and who doesn't mean this and who said this. When you come from your island of Patmos, you too will have a prophetic word for the people God has sent you to. Oh, this is key. This is, this is very key. We're going we're to we're get some more into this. <laughs> so, I want you to notice. Notice what it says there in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And I want you to notice something that, that's here. He said, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. Now, as many of you already know that it is believed that the order of these seven churches were in the order of an old postal route uh, that was in Rome at this particular time. This letter was addressed to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Oh, we know the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. Either the prophetic uh, understanding of these verses are either interpreted for us in the immediate context or elsewhere in the Bible. We don't have to guess, reconspect who the angel of the church is. In chapter 1, verse 20, it seems to suggest that the angels of the churches are the pastors of the churches. We know the angel in the Greek is angelos, and it just means messenger. And pastors and leaders, all we are are lowly messengers of God. Oh, I know that you think that you're angelic. (laughs) Or that you're a special messenger sent to your city by God. You're special, all right. Someone who can fall in a heartbeat, that's how special you are. And all we are are just simple messengers of God. And notice he said to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus, whose name means darling. It speaks of 
romantic love. It was world famous as a religious and cultural and economic center in the Roman Empire. It was famous for the Temple of Diana, its Roman name, or Artemis, its Greek name. And Diana was the fertility god that was worshipped through immoral sex. The Temple of Diana had 127 columns, each 60 feet tall. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Now, why did I take just a little time to give you information about the city of Ephesus that you already know and that you already taught? Oh, because of this. Do you know the history of the city that you're ministering in? Ephesus was known for the temple of Diana and its immoral sexual acts. Do you know what your city is known for? Have you prayed for your city and asked God to forgive your city for the sins they were involved in and committed long ago? What do you know about your city? Oh, you've been there for X amount of months or X amount of years. You should know something about your city. Oh, the city of Newport News or where we're from, Newport News, Virginia. Uh, it, you know, it, it had its beginnings back in the Jamestown settlement in 1607. And, and Christopher Newport used to come on his ship and bring the news and bring other settlers into the new world. Oh, it was a welcome sight to see him because he brought supplies to the starving uh, people who were here trying to colonize this area. And he was a, a, a great blessing. So that's what it believe, it's believed that Newport News got its name from. Do you know the history behind the name of your city? Do you know what they were known for? Oh, it, it became known. Newport News later became, they started the, the atrocities they started uh, uh, to commit against the uh, uh, um, Native Americans. And later on, when the, the slaves came over, over here, hey, let me tell you, do you know the, the background of your city? And why is it that it seems like it's just a, a, a drag? It seems like you just, it, and nothing is happening. What's, what's going on? It seems like the darkness is winning. What's happening? Oh, you better dig a little bit deeper. Oh, we can, we can tell about Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamos, and we can do all that and teach all of that. But can you teach on your city that you're ministering in? Oh, this is something that is very important here for us to, to see In order to see God do a special work there, we need to know that we know that we know that God sent us there and why. Then the speaker identifies himself in the next part of uh, the, the verse. It says, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Oh, the seven stars are identified for us also in chapter one, verse 20 as another name for the angels of the seven churches. In other words, the seven stars are another name for the pastors of the seven churches. Oh, let me tell you something. This is where the problem comes in. We begin to think that we are superstars. Oh, this term star is only given to us because we're seeking to be like Jesus Christ, who according to Luke 19 verse 10 says that he came to seek and to save the lost. And so are we. And therefore, Daniel 12, 3 says, those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever. (laughs) Our problem comes when we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we take on a superstar mindset, no longer willing to serve, but to be served. This is where the problem comes in. And when this happens, uh, we're in trouble. 
When we start to believe what the people on social media are saying about us or are teaching, watch out because that stuff is like helium. And it will blow our heads up and we won't be able to get you into this door if we opened up both of them. <laughs> we got to watch out. I'm always concerned when I hear pastors say, oh, watch this. When I hear pastors say, my church, you know, at my church, and, you know, my people, oh, oh, I understand what, you, what you're saying. Because, you know, I'm one of you, so I understand what you're saying. But I'm always a little concerned when I hear this terminology used. Because it shows that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, we're starting to take on and take a possession of something that is not ours to possess, which is the church. Oh, it belongs to Jesus. Maybe you forgot that. It belongs to Jesus. Last time I checked, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And when you start saying my church and my people, you're starting to take possession of something that's not yours to possess. Last time I checked, I don't know about you, maybe you did. I didn't die for anybody. I don't have a heaven nor a hell to put anybody in. So you will never hear me say my church, my people, because they don't belong to me. And when I hear that, I'm starting, ooh, I, I cringe a little bit. Oh, it doesn't stop there. Look, look what it says. We're going to read verses 2 and 3. It says, I know your, it says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have uh, persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, in these verses, Jesus gives a positive affirmation. He said, you know, he says here in verse 2, he says, I know your works and I know your labor. Oh, kapos, labor in the Greek is kapos. It means to work to the point of exhaustion. And I wonder if this describes us, those of us who are full-time in ministry. Do we study? Do we pray? Do we work to the point of exhaustion? Or are we too busy trying to lower our golf score or train for the next Ironman or something of that nature? Now, I believe that we should exercise. I believe that. I work out six days a week. I know you can't really tell it. That's okay. But, but <laughs> trust my words. I, I, I work out six days a week. And I think that we should work out in ministry. The Bible says bodily exercise profits a little. It didn't say it didn't profit at all, but it does profit a little. So we, we, we need to do that. And I believe that we need to power down in ministry. But do we only work to the point of exhaustion in the gym? Oh, first, first Timothy 4.15 says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Paul tells Timothy to give himself entirely to the things of God. And your progress will be evident to all. Watch this. The opposite is true as well. When we don't give ourselves entirely to the things of God, our progress will be evident to all. Oh, they won't say it in your face, but they'll say behind your back, he must not have studied much this week. (laughs) 
Now, let me just say, if you are bivocational or you, you, you have a full-time job outside of the ministry, there is a special grace God gives as you try to juggle job and family and the ministry. This exhortation is for those who are graciously allowed to be in full-time ministry. Give yourself, like the apostle said in Acts 6-4, to the word of God and prayer. And when you do, your progress will be evident to all. So this church, an amazing church, the church of Ephesus was an amazing church. This church was a serving church. Jesus said, I know your works. It was a sacrificing church. They labored to the point of exhaustion. And according to verse 3, they were a steadfast church. Oh, that's for you preachers. You know, you got to have those alliteration, the S, you know, serving, sacrifice, that was for you. That's just keep you engaged. They were a steadfast church because the Greek word for patience is hupomone, and it means to endure under trials, meaning that they kept going when the going got tough. And I believe that some of you came here today thinking about giving up on the ministry because it's been hard lately. You've been going through some tough times. You've been criticized lately. Please understand that everyone gets criticized even Jesus. And with every criticism, keep in mind, there's an element of truth in it. Look past the criticism and look at the critic and ask yourself, number one, is this someone I respect? And if so, then take heed to what they're saying. Number two, do I hear this criticism a lot? Do I hear from my wife? Do I hear from my children? Do I hear from close friends? Have I been hearing this for a long time? See, if so, then there is some truth to what they're saying. And then number three, is the criticism constructive or destructive? Are they trying to build me up or tear me down? Finally, the best thing to do with critics is to outlive them. (laughs) Just outlive your critics. It's been said that a pastor leaves a church over seven critics. Seven critics seem like everyone, everybody is criticizing me. No, no, it's not. It's just, it's just a few people. Not everyone is not criticizing you. It seems like that. But everyone is not. Just outlive them. And just please keep this in mind. It's always too soon to quit. It's always, somebody needs to hear this today. It's always too soon to quit. When you quit something, you set a precedence in your life. It's always too soon to quit. Always. Don't forget what verse 1 says, that Jesus is holding you in his right hand, and he is not going to let you go. He got you in his right hand. Somebody needs to hear this today. Because you've been thinking about giving up. You've been thinking about going back to the old job again. You're thinking about going back to the the old job that you left to come into full-time ministry. Somebody's been, been, been lately, just lately, somebody's been brushing up on their resume. 
about to put it on monsters.com and all these other things because of the criticism in the ministry. And the Lord has you in his right hand. And he's not going to let you go. It's too soon to quit. You know who you are. It's too soon to quit. Somebody need to hear that today. So on the outside of this church, everything looked great. It was the dream church any pastor wanted to pastor. But don't forget, Jesus was walking in the midst of this church, and he sees what is going on internally. He sees that something is missing. Something was missing. Something so vital, something so important. And that is love. Remember that Ephesus means romantic love. Now, Jesus is going to tell them what he sees going on behind the scenes, even though uh, out front everything looked great. But Jesus is going to say, I I see what's going on within. Oh, it's been talked about already in the last message that we got. Oh, we can come here and we can look all pastoral and we can smile and put on that air. You know how we preachers do it and Everything's great, brother, you know. But Jesus is walking through the midst of us. And he sees what's going on within. And then we put that cheese on, you know, that smile. But Jesus said, I'm going to let you know what I see inside. What I see going on inside of this church. Oh, look what he says there in verse 4. It says, nevertheless... I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, Jesus has given them a now a corrective exhortation. Oh, many people misquote this verse and say, well, they lost their first love. No, no, you don't lose your first love. You leave it. Leaving is a deliberate act, though it may not happen suddenly. You can drift Like Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And this is what happened to this church in Ephesus. They drifted from Jesus. And if the church drifted, you better believe that the pastor drifted first. Oh, the word drift... In the Greek language, it's pararueo, and it's an amazing word. It's a word that means to slip. Uh, it, there, there were different times that this word was used, and it means to, as, a, as a wedding ring slipped off of a person's finger. It was also used to describe when food slipped in the throat of the individual and causes choking to take place. Oh, this word was also a nautical term used to describe a ship drifting past the safety of the harbor. Drifting carries the connotation of letting go and and putting it in neutral and allowing the currents to take you away either out to sea or into the rocks. And you end up crashing in ministry. And this can happen to any of us. No one is immune to, to drifting. Notice how the author of Hebrews says, lest we drift, meaning that it can happen to any of us. And if we sense this happening in the church, if you sense that the church is kind of drifting, oh, you better believe that drifting is happening in us. 
first. Or I have to ask you, have you drifted? Or are you drifting? Have you left your first love, Jesus? Let me, let me just give you a few warning signs just to let you know that you're drifting. Because sometimes the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin. Sometimes sin can deceive us and we can be drifting and we deceive ourselves and think, I'm not drifting. And you are drifting. Oh, let me give you some warning signs. And number one, no longer making progress as a Christian husband or leader. Did you know growing churches are led by growing leaders? The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. You got to grow. Did you, did you know that we're first Christians? I, I know you see yourself as the, the great, wonderful pastor you are. But we're, we're, we're Christians first. And we, we need to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ like everyone else. We have to be growing as a leader. We have to grow as a husband. We have to, we have to grow. We, and so a sign that you're drifting, you're no longer growing. You're no longer making progress as a husband. Oh, we, we read leadership books, and I'm the first one. I, leadership books, and we, we commentaries. When the last time we read a book on how to be a better husband, how to be a better father? When last time we read a book on that? Oh, but we got our commentaries and our Greek and he, and we're there and we and we're right there. But when was the last time we read those kind of books? Oh, it's been a while for me. Oh, I'm I'm going to read the leadership books. I'm going to read the the the, uh, the books to help me to pastor better. But when was the last time I read a book about marriage, about being a a, a godly man of God, or father to my children, or now grandchildren. It's been a while. See, I got I to gotta get on top of that. Oh, you, you, you forgot, I'm one of you. I'm just like you. So a warning sign is no longer making progress. Number two, oh, here's a good one. Oh, here's a good one. A good, here's the second sign that you're drifting. Old ways are reintroduced back into your life again. Oh, my goodness. And let me tell you something. They did a tremendous job talking about the whole thing of drinking. This is, this, is the, this is the generation that Pastor Chuck warned about. He said the third and fourth generation of Calvary, hmm, he's concerned about. Now that I've been with Calvary as long as I've been with Calvary, I, I, I'm, one of, I'm the bridge from the, from the old school to the new school. I've been around long enough. To have heard Pastor Chuck say these things that he's concerned about. And some of the guys who came out from Pastor Chuck, they're like, oh my goodness, we can't believe that we're talking about stinking drinking. Drink, are we kidding? Let me tell you something. I, I, I don't mind being called a legalist when it comes to something I believe is biblical. You can call me a legalist all day. You're not going to hurt my feelings. As pastors, we can't drink. I said it. I don't care. Hey. (laughs) And the next time one of you put on Facebook or social media uh, a a, a beer, uh, a glass of beer, say my current situation, I'm going to call you out just like the Apostle Paul did to Peter. I'm going to call you out on that because you stumbling me with that mess. That is mess. We can't drink. 
And let me tell you something. Last time I checked the qualifications of a pastor in 1 Timothy 3, in, in verse 3, it says not given to wine. The, the Greek word says wineless, that we're not to be beside wine. We're not to be beside it. And yes, that is for all Christians. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the Scripture is for all Christians. Pastors are to be the examples. So it's simple as that. Oh, I'm, I'm not done with this one. <laughs> this, I can't believe we're talking about this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, it says, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I won't be brought under the power of any. Watch this. You know the word expedient? Just the English word, the root of that English word has P-E-D in it. Ped. The, the Latin and the Greek, that ped speaks of the foot. So what Paul is saying is that all things are lawful, but all things doesn't free my feet. All things are lawful, but I won't be bought under the power of any. Watch this. Let me ask you this. Will alcohol, you got to ask yourself, will drinking alcohol free my feet or tangle my feet up? All things are lawful, but I won't be brought under the power of any. Will alcohol bring you under its power? Yes, it will. So what are you doing with it? You can't, do, you can't do it. We're to be the examples. Well, I don't drink to get drunk. Then why do you have to drink it at all? There's too, there's too much Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Sprite, grape soda, Fanta, ginger ale. We got too many products out for you. And, and watch it. Here's the big one. You remember, and to show you how Timothy, who was the pastor of Ephesus, obeyed this command, total abstinence, because if he didn't obey it, why is it that Paul later tells him, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake, for your frequent infirmities, if he was drinking it, but to show that he wasn't drinking it, he was totally abstaining, he had to tell him, drink a little wine, just for medicinal purposes. It shows that Timothy, as the pastor, was totally abstaining. That Paul had to encourage him to drink a little of it for medicinal purposes. Oh, y'all better know your Bible. Am I talking to pastors? (laughs) I'm just saying. Old ways are reintroduced back. Drugs, guys are just... I'm just like, I, I can't believe we're, we're, we're actually talking about this. Because this is the generation of pastors that Pastor Chuck was concerned about. And we're talking about this because they're concerned about it. So don't tell me you got liberty to drink. Let me tell you something. When we got called to ministry, there's a lot of liberties we don't have. We don't have. I never did smoke, drink, or do drugs even before I was a Christian. I don't know what it is to be high. I don't know what it is to be drunk and don't want to know. And I don't care if I go overseas, they'll be offended. If I, I don't care. Uh, I would offend. I never did drink in my life. So I go overseas. All of a sudden I'm going to start chugging them back. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was, I, well, we're offended, brother. So what? <laughs> I, I don't care about those things. That, that doesn't bother me. A third sign that you're drifting is a loss 
of a sense of awe and reverence for the word of God. Oh, yes. Yes, you would teach the word. But you're only teaching it from an academic perspective. You're not teaching it to let that word go through you. The first thing that should happen before we give it, the word should go through you first. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three? 23? He said, what I received from the Lord, that which I delivered to you. That is the key to preaching and teaching. What we receive from the Lord, I'm delivering it to you. It goes through us first. And but see, when old ways are introduced back into your life, when you start drifting, that there's no awe and reverence for the word of God. You still teach it because you're a Calvary guy. But it's only from an academic perspective. It's, it's only from this is what you should be doing, not what we should be doing. Now, what you should be doing, and it's only from an academic perspective. The fourth sign that you are drifting, no deep concern for the lost. All of these are warning signs that you have drifted. So once again, have you drifted? Have you lost your cutting edge? If so, then how do you get it back? Well, look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do your first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The solution to three R's, remember I'm talking to preachers, three R's, remember, repent, and return. This verse says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Oh, you know, this is perfectly illustrated for us in in 2 Kings chapter 6 in verses 1 through 7. Now, in these verses, we see that the school of the prophets were going through a building expansion. Yeah, that's always fun. We're in the midst of... We're in the midst of, you know, purchasing a new facility. We've had it for almost a couple of years now, uh, but we had to do it because we got it as is, and we had to stabilize the facility and and spend on an ungodly amount of money. It's like on HGTV, you know, when they, you know, that you watch with your wife. You you're not really watching it. You say you're not, but. You know, when they got to put in, uh, wire, rewire the house, and, or they got to put some stuff underneath the crawl space, and stuff you will never see, but it's an ungodly amount of money. That's kind of what we're doing now. So when I, when I hear this building expansion, I, I kind of get weird. I kind of shake there. So Elisha had them go out and cut down some trees. And, and one of them, as he was cutting down some trees, his axe head flew off. You know the story. You've taught this. And it flew off into the water. So he cries out to Elisha, Alas, master, it was borrowed. So Elisha asked him a very important question. said, where did it fall? Or remember where did you last have it? So he showed him the place. And Elisha cut off a branch and put it in the water. And at the exact place the axe head fell. And all of a sudden... The axe head came to the surface. And this is a very important lesson for us because this man could have faked it until he made it. Or he could have easily banged around on some trees with the wooden handle and made a bunch of noise. 
but nothing productive would have taken place because his cutting edge was gone. And, and, and when our cutting edge is gone, instead of crying out like this man did, so often we bang around with a wooden handle or in our flesh, hoping that no one notices that nothing productive is being done for the kingdom of God. And we try to prop things up through man-centered programs, or we try to borrow what some other church is doing. And, and instead of us crying out, God, I, I don't have it anymore. We bang around with the handle and just hoping that through a bunch of activity, no one would notice that lives aren't being changed, that folks are not coming into the kingdom. And we just hope that no one would notice Instead of us crying out, at last, Master, it was borrowed. And we have to understand that the anointing to do the work of the ministry is not ours. It's borrowed. I believe this is what David was crying out in Psalm 51, verse 11. Lord, take not thy spirit from me. That anointing I need to be king, that anointing I need to be a father, that anointing of your spirit that's needed in my life. Don't take that from me. And I believe that we need to understand that we need the power of God's spirit. That's the cutting edge. Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by power nor by, by might, but it's by my spirit. Pastor Chuck, I, I can hear it in my head right now. He, 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 quoting Galatians 3, 3. Having begun in the spirit. Are we now being made perfect in the flesh? And that's what it looks like is happening today. We began in the Spirit. It was about the Spirit of God. And now are we being made perfect through fleshly things, fleshly man-centered programs. Instead of looking to the Spirit, we're looking to the next great church movement. And what church got this going on? So we're going to try to imitate it. And, and all that is, is taking the handle and banging around on the trees, making a bunch of noise. And there's a bunch of noise. But nothing productive is going on in the kingdom. And you say, well, Pastor Tony, yet things are happening at our church. That's because God honors his word above his very own name. It's not because of you. He honors his word. So as long as you teach his word, something is going to happen. But not like what he wants to see happen. When we begin to rely upon his spirit and the spirit of God. Oh, I remember, I'm one of you. We had a time of worship and prayer this past Friday. That Thursday, I got some information about our church and some things that was going on. And, and I started to get a little anxious. And so Friday we had what we call our spirit and truth service. It's a time of worship and prayer, waiting on the Lord, see what the Lord wants to do. And so as I was in, in that service, the youth people, you know, the youth pastors and stuff, they, they would constantly tell me about a couple of kids that God really has their hand upon. And I, I said, you know what? Let me introduce me to these kids. So I never got a chance to, I, to see them in person. So after our spirit and truth service, 
a young man came up to me. Nice young man, a nice shirt, bow tie. He was very nicely dressed. And he come up to me. He said, uh, the, Lord, the Lord wants me to tell you something. I said, okay. I said, all right, all right. Uh, all right, what, 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 what you got there, young man? And he spoke a word into my life that only God knew. He said, he said, you're trying to hold on to the things of God in the church. He said, it's not until you open your hand and let them go. That's when God is going to do something. I said, how does kid know what the word... <laughs> Open up my hand. Who are you? And I was just, just the day before, when I heard the information about the church, I was like, oh, man, I got to do something. And I got to work this and work that. And the Lord said, this is not your church. This is my church. Let go. Let me do it. And when that kid confirmed what God was already speaking in my heart, I said, I'm free. I'm tired of trying to control, manipulate, and try to make this work and that happen over there. Hey, let me tell you something. It's his church. Pastor Chuck taught us what we do to gain, we got to do to maintain. See, when we do it, we got to do all this stuff to maintain it. We got to spin the plates and whew. Whoa, that one's going down. Whoa! And, we, and that's how we are so often. When we lost the cutting edge and we're banging around, spinning plates and all, that's exhausting. I want to quit ministry too. Hey, that's exhausting. But when we allow the Lord to do it, because without his spirit, you know what we're going to do? We're going to turn God's church. Oh, please don't miss this. Without God's spirit, we're going to turn God's church into dead seminaries. Yes, we will teach them biblical facts and knowledge and history and Greek and Hebrew. And they will be dead seminaries instead of churches alive by the spirit of God. And this is what we got to watch out for. Because without his Holy Spirit... We won't have that cutting edge, and nothing productive would take place. So what, what, what must we do to three R's? Remember, repent, return. Remember how it used to be when you're on fire for God. Repent from leaving that, which means to have a change of heart and mind. Then do your first works or return. Return to doing those things you were doing when you were in love with Jesus, whatever that looks like to you. Remember, God is more concerned about the minister than the ministry. Please understand that. Please understand that. Let me conclude with this. If you've left your first love and you've lost your cutting edge, there's hope for you. Because even pastors and leaders can leave our first love. And when we do, you know what will happen? You'll become just a sermon-producing machine. I, I've been there where I was giving out more than I was taking in, where I was giving out sermon after sermon, and it was no longer about Jesus. It was all about the next sermon. 
I've been there. Guys, I've been there. Sunday and Wednesdays roll around with amazing regularity. <laughs> amazing. You look up, it's Wednesday. You look up, it's Sunday. And then guess what? It's Wednesday again. It's like, are you kidding? Another sermon? When we're lost, I cut an edge and it's not, and it's, it's all about, you know, the next sermon. It, nothing's going to, you know, you're going to get up in the pulpit mad. You got to give another sermon. Turn me in your Bibles. <laughs> and you start getting out and start beating those sheep and. I'm telling you, I'm one of you. I've been there. I've done this. I've done this. Especially when we had a Sunday night service. You kidding me? We had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. And, and I, was, I was in the, um, I was in, uh, this was the early years. I was in the epistles, Paul's epistles on Sunday mornings. I was in the gospel Sunday night. I was in the Old Testament Wednesday. You see why I don't have much hair on top here anymore. <laughs> I was nuts. But when we, when we left our first love, which is Jesus, this thing of what we call a privilege in ministry will be a grueling job. That's what will happen. And that's why a lot of them are burning out. And what happens is when this thing becomes a job and a grueling job, then what we do, we end up sabotaging the ministry and we end up burning out and through a variety of ways that we burn out. It has to be about Jesus. It has to be about him. May we fall more in love with Jesus and may we depend more on his Holy Spirit. Let me look at the Okay, oh, yeah, oh, let me look at, oh, yeah, it's all, it, almost that time for, for dinner. One of the things I told my, tell my wife all the time, I said, you never get in, the, in between a man and his food. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want to do that. However, however, as we close in prayer, I give you an opportunity to respond. Because it's easy to drift in the ministry. It's easy to leave your first love. It's easy to do that. And if this is you, we're going to give you an opportunity to stand here and let these guys pray for you around you. Because it can happen to any of us. You start to reintroducing things back into your life again. The Lord loves you. He sees it. He sees these things. And so as we close in prayer, this is going to be your opportunity to do just that, I get, here it is. Before we even pray, if you've drifted, if you have left your first love, which is Jesus, if you started introducing things back into your life once again, if you lost the cutting edge, just stand up. I want to pray for you. And, and you see these guys standing up right now. The, the guys that are around them, you know, just lay hands on them. And like, like Pastor uh, uh, Joe said, we're, we're brothers. 
We're brothers. It's all about Jesus. If the ministry has been about you, you need to be standing up. If the ministry has been about anything else other than Jesus, you need to be standing up because you've left your first love. It's about him. It's about him. Let's close in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for these dear brothers that are standing and those who wanted to stand. God, we just pray that you forgive us, Lord, for leaving our first love. Forgive us, Lord, for, Lord, putting other things in front of you. Lord, forgive us, Lord, for putting the ministry in front of you. Lord, have mercy upon us. We love you because you first loved us. And, Lord, may we fall more in love with you now. Lord, you have revealed the secrets of our hearts. And, dear God, we just pray that your hand will be upon us. Lord, just do a work. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us for banging around, making a bunch of noise, being a fugitive, hoping that no one will see that, any, that nothing productive is going on. Lord, help us to rely more on your spirit. Lord, forgive us for trying to build your church. Lord, may we open our hand and let go of your church and your people. And may we look to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tony Clark. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Tony's teaching ministry by visiting calvarynn.org.